Welcome back to the Neighbour Food Podcast. This week, we are continuing our explorations of the next generation of Irish producers. And we are talking to none other than Brian McCarthy. He's the co-founder of Cork Rooftop Farm. Yeah, so this is an urban farming model like not many others, set Mm -hmm. up by Brian and his friend Thay as a lockdown project in March 2020. He says himself that they were only... Trying to grow produce for ourselves, not with any commercial motivations, just purely uh, downtown during lockdown. And I suppose today it's fair to say that it has grown legs everywhere and some of these legs is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to look at urban farming, regenerative farming. What was it like when he actually started this project and he said, yeah, this is a good idea? Absolutely. We're going to chat about no dig gardens, CSA models, keeping hens and their predators, his own team and who he works with, the other next generations that he can see around him. What are the next steps for him and Cork Rooftop Farm? And would he recommend this as a career choice for younger people? And so to start, this project began as a 7,000 square foot area on the rooftop of his family's business, which is right in the heart of Cork City and just around the corner from where Brian lives. So before they knew it, Brian and Thay, who we started the project with, were assembling polytunnels, planting seeds, receiving soil deliveries, building these raised beds and transplanting plants. So now fast forward a very short 18 months and this project has morphed into aeroponics, microgreens, these pasture raised hens, the no dig market garden and an army of people working with them. Actually, they've just opened a farm shop too downstairs, which sells, of course, their own produce, grow-it-yourself products, houseplants, whole foods, and supplies from other organic producers in the area. These guys are busy. Yeah, full disclosure, I've known Brian since we were kids, actually, and he is absolutely the type of guy that sees an idea, gets inspired, and goes for it. He's completely in 100%. Well, what I find with agriculture anyway is you, you dip your toe into one thing and it inevitably opens up doors into loads of other bits that you, you find fascinating. And it's absolutely not a mean feat for a guy who is only in his mid-30s. And the obvious question here really is, well, what does he want to be when he grows up? What do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Um... I don't even go. I've, do you know what? Like, I've been thinking a lot about this question for the last year. Like, obviously, having started the rooftop farm, it's been a total shift in how I live my life now. I was like, you know, running uh, a, B, a primarily B2B flower and plant business. And now I have, you know, I'm checking hens at night and I've got microgreens and farm and an old dig market. Like, it's kind of going, how did this happen? Like, um, but I think whatever about what I want to be, I think where I want to live is, it might sound a bit sad in that I'm li- I've got an urban farm, but I definitely want to be living, you know, on a farm. <laughs> and, that, you know, um, I definitely want to live on a farm and, uh, it, well, how do I get, how do I get there? I don't know. Uh, but, um, yeah, maybe if I get enough rooftops interconnected, I might guess uh, be happy with that. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I think just being close to close to soil, I guess, and kind of nature and all that stuff, that's become a much more important part for me than it was maybe eighteen months ago. Um, mm. Yeah. So 
whatever, but what I want to be, where, where I want to be is, is probably what I've kind of figured out more in the last 18 months more so than, than, than what. So how does a city lad with the dream of interconnected rooftops end up at life on a farm? Do you, do you think he'll get there? Of course he will. This guy is so absolutely driven. It's mind blowing. We definitely can't be accused of being afraid to try things because we're trying everything. Um, Will we check out some of these things that he's been up to for the last year and a half? Absolutely. The obvious one to start with here is the urban farm itself. So simply put, urban farming is growing or producing food in a city or like heavy, heavily populated area. And how urban agriculture is different to, say, a community garden is that it assumes a level of commerce. So they're growing the produce to be sold rather than for personal consumption. Now, we asked him, what is the value of urban farms to cities like Cork? Um, no, there, there's a few obvious ones. Obviously, food miles is, is, is a very uh, relevant one. You know, we're producing food in the city centre where the population zone is. So anything we produce is sold to consumers who live within, prob- you know, the majority of our c- customers are within a, probably a kilometre or two radius of the rooftop farm. Yeah. Yeah, literally. So that, that's, that's a quite a, a strong uh, case for it. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the strongest thing, things that I've noticed is, is um, connection to food and how it's produced. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of people who, who live in in the city and maybe have wouldn't have any connection to the countryside having this uh growing amenity in an on their doorstep kind of gives a bit of a a, a realness to us uh to the mm. process um yeah we're you know we anyone we bring up to the rooftop farm who sees it who's who's kind of coming from that background they're just a bit awestruck by by how the whole yeah. thing actually happens um mm-hmm. and i i think it that in turn leads to people having a, a greater appreciation for their food and um, when you know where it's you know when you know the producer and when you know where it's coming from and you trust that producer it, that's that's a really important thing uh, especially for food people don't put enough value in good food they just don't uh like and you know unfortunately all the the data on this shows that food is actually only been getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper for decades mm. uh from a consumer standpoint the value of it is just they're just not putting the value in i don't know i don't know why that is um i think maybe there's all there's all those arguments about the you know the, the supermarket wars and the price wars but ultimately, consumers make the decision, uh, you know, so if and, and that's so that that's, I think, a big part of what we're about is trying to give people that informed decision um, showing them that, you know, this is what it takes to grow food. This is this is the true value of growing it. And um, I think if it was explained to people a bit more, you know, what it costs someone to produce this food, they'd be less likely mm. to to be spending less than cost on that food. Um, yeah. Uh, also, if there is a direct the taste as well, like is is usually a, a lot better than what you get in a supermarket, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, taste and nutritional uh, 
nutrition and benefit are, are, are huge factors, you know, I mean, especially for what we grow with leafy greens and microgreens, the, mm. the nutritional tearing off of those within 24, 48 hours is quite high uh, in that first few days. So if you couldn't be harvesting it same day and consuming it within that time period, then that's, that's as good as you can get without having it in your own backyard, I guess. So another thing that Brian is really passionate about is regenerative farming, conserving, rehabilitating, enhancing the soil and increasing biodiversity. Yeah, so I guess my definition of it would be building soil in, in its simplest, simplest this, the, uh, you know, explanation. Um, so if you are farming in a way that builds soil, then invariably you are sequestering more carbon because your soil mass is in, increasing. So you're, you're, you're storing and sequestering more carbon. Um, there's way, I suppose that that's really very simplistic uh, way to put it, but that, that is the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Like, now he gave us an example of how they do this with their hens, which they move on a regular basis in a mobile hen unit. And by this, we mean the whole coop is physically moved to a new area of pasture on a regular basis. You're, you're moving the animals every day or two. You're not, you're allowing them to have a heavy impact on, on land. And then you're leaving that land rest for a long period. So the, the, um, the manure that they put down, the impact they have on the ground, the grazing they do, uh, that's, that's, that's what I suppose um, uh, in the graces, it, it, the soil here, cause you're, you're, you're putting down organic matter from the hens and you're letting it to rest. Yeah. It, it would follow like a, a lot of, a lot of dairy, um, farmers in Ireland would, would have rotational grazing, uh, setups. Um, the difference being a lot of the, the, the dairy farms in Ireland are heavily dependent on fertilizer, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and chemical for, you know, inorganic fertilizer, um, which, which is, is not entirely regenerative because when you're applying inorganic fertilizer to, to soil, it actually acts as a, as a, a salt uh, for, 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 for microorganisms. So it actually ends up killing microorganisms in the soil, dehydrating them, okay. um, and making you more dependent on the next batch of fertilizer to, to, uh, invigorate growth. So it's a kind of a, a vicious cycle you're locked into then. And with the cost of fertilizer going crazy at the moment, um, a lot of farmers are going to be feeling, feeling the pinch now over the next 12 months with yeah. that. So it's not a sustainable model going forward. Yeah. Can I give you my, my thinking of regenerative, regenerative farming? I'm having trouble saying the word, but I'm understanding the concept <laughs> quite well. Yeah. The, my, my thinking is that the majority of your focus shouldn't be on the output. So whatever it is that you are either growing or rearing, but on the soil itself. So you are tending to the soil first and to the plant second. The idea being feed and look after the soil better and whatever you take away from it will improve. So when you talk about the rotation of a dairy herd or of cattle, sorry, um, that is not for the benefit of the soil and improving the quality of that land. It is for the benefit of that particular herd of cattle. Not really considering too much about the next herd of cattle or the dependency that's being created. So it's a focus or an idea. And the, the issues of these kind of labels is that they are in many cases 
being explored internationally and they are being applied across all forms of agriculture. But there isn't a one size fits all based on climate, also quality of soil, but there isn't also a one size fits all kind of because many of them work in different types of ways. We had a really interesting chat last week with um, Kevin from New Leaf Urban Farms, where he has a focus that comes from Korea. And it's a similar idea where you're where you're using up waste products from your operation and fermenting them or tre- treating them naturally and using those as your your own kind of fertilizers to improve your own farm in a kind of circular way. So it is this idea that what you have around you is often the cure for for the problem. And I use my inverted mm. commas fingers, the problem of agriculture, which is that, you know, it's not free, like just because it comes out of the ground, it's taking mm. something from the soil, you have to put that back into the soil. So that would be my thinking of what regenerative farming is. It's, it's trying to give back more than you're taking out, but trying to figure out a way where it's economically viable and sustainable to do it mm-hmm. in a natural way. Am I wrong? Have I missed anything? There, no, it's it's exactly that, and I guess you know it's only in the nineteen forties or so that chemical agriculture became a thing. Um, so before that, it didn't exist, and people had to do those methods. Um, but I think, um, I mean, there's a few things you said that are very interesting because um, putting things back into soil, I guess this is a, 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 an interesting area of agriculture and agronomy that's being somewhat dispelled by a woman called Elaine Ingham, uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham. She, she has this line that everything a plant needs is already in the soil. All you need to do is make it available to the plant. So watch her um, and this this feeds in a lot to the the Korean uh, natural farming stuff as well in in terms of you know microbial life within the soil that 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 really there needs to be a massive shift away from a, a focus on chemical application towards the microbial life in soil so the 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 biology of soil rather than the chemi- the chemistry of soil um it, it is the it is the biology within soil that makes the chemistry available to the plant so mm-hmm. without that what, what what's been happening for decades now is we've just been flaking on the the chemicals not understanding really how it's how it's having an effect on the soil itself and what's interesting is that if you, like you said, if you really focus on the soil and the health of the biology within your soil, that's, that's what will give you the win because the cost, number one, the cost of fertilizer is, is not sustainable. And if you offset that then against these, you know, extra yields over time on a graph, like it's, it, it just doesn't stack up. Um, and if you can do this with the quote unquote, you know, like waste products that you see around your farm uh, or your land, then uh, that's just such harmony. It's, it's, un- 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 it's unbelievable. Um, uh, and I think that's what really we need to 
asperity, but that's going to take monumental mind shift change. Like mm-hmm. every, every, um, agricultural college in the country is still, um, really focused, not, not 100%, not to the extent they used to be, but there's still a massive focus on chemical application. Can you tell us about the moment that you thought, do you know what? This seems like a viable idea. Let's, let's give it a shot. Um, I, I went to, I went to Sweden last summer and while I was over there, um, I did an, uh, it's a farm scale permaculture course by a man called Richard Perkins. Um, so I did that course for, for 10 days and well, Doing that, I kind of, I realized, wow, this is really, I, I've got something kind of special here. Let's, let's, mm. let's not have this be one of those, um, you know, fly and die, uh, projects that you see for six months. And then all of a sudden you're kind of going, oh, what was that car rooftop farm thing again? Like that I saw on the paper a year ago. Mm. So I didn't want that. Uh, I wanted this to be, um, to be, to be something of, of, of real meaning, uh, and to have a commercial viability to it. So mm-hmm. like I had to, I guess, figure out how would you make money out of 7,000 square feet? Um, which is, which is <laughs> a tough going, um, with, sure. with, you know, um, so like microgreens was a, a big part of that. Um, and it's one thing that I learned well up in Sweden, the, the, I suppose, I suppose the the basic elements of how to grow microgreens. Um, and I could see that that was going to be a very important enterprise for us. Um, what I didn't necessarily, well, I, well, my initial thoughts on microgreens, for example, was that all oh, great. We'll sell all these into rest, every restaurant and they'll be mad to have them. But what's actually transpiring is it's, it's the public who are, um, really gravitating towards them more so than, um, than necessarily the restaurant trade. Um, what I'm, what I'm seeing is that, uh, for microgreens, especially it is people are using them as a, a core, uh, element to, to their, to their, mm. to their dining. They're not using it as a garnish, which is generally how restaurants tend to use them, but people love the intensity of flavor from microgreens because with, I have to agree with, you there, yeah. with salad leaves, often there can be a lack of intensity of flavor. You, and if you get salad leaves that are not fresh, then there can be a lack of texture intensity and just, you're, you know, it's just not a very good experience. So you can see where people would nearly shy away from it because, um, you know, they wouldn't be getting the best experience so having something in front of them that you're literally harvesting in front of them um yeah and then taking it away and eating it that day that's that's not you can't match that from something that's been transported two days ago cut three days ago put into a i don't know a bag that's been pumped full of i don't know what and uh, washed three or four times you know like there's no, there's no comparison and the flavor intensity as well, plus the nutritional benefits. Um, you know, like I literally have people coming into me and 
they just like they guess we give them maybe a little mix punter or two to start off with and then they're just hooked they were just hooked yeah. on them like you know um and it's it's great to see the 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 repeat customers coming back every week and that's just growing week on week on week um and it's it's very reaffirming it's it's great to see and it's i think it's a nice um and it's it's a big part of i suppose how we've we're making it uh, sustainable commercially um mm-hmm. the towers are obviously a large component too there was a good bit of investment we to go in for that um but they're again a large commercial viability aspect to the the whole thing and also they're using you know there's good things with the towers there's 10 percent less water there's how do they work how do they work so how do they work yeah yeah so the, the, a grow tower and um, basically it's a plastic structure it's got a tank at the bottom that holds 80 uh, gallons of water um that has a nutrient solution in it um that is pumped up to the top of the tower trickles down um and feeds the plant and hydrates the plant um and we've got 60 of these in the rooftop farm and they grow about just under four and a half thousand plants in in our small tunnel um and it's yeah so it it's took us a bit of figuring out so there there's there, like everything we had no experience using aeroponic towers so it's sure. taken us i guess until now to really go through a full growing season and see the different challenges at different times of the year and um yeah so i guess we're a year into that now and it's it's been very uh enlightening in that regard but yeah we're 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 getting to a point now i think where we're really getting a nice system in place with it it's 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 quite good uh in in terms of the output we have from it it's very consistent um requires quite careful management and planning and a lot of um i suppose unlike growing in uh soil there's you know uh, cleanliness and, and hygiene is actually a quite a big part of the towers because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can lose an entire tunnel crop quite quickly if you, if you're not careful. Um, but it's, yeah, th- th- that's been a, a really important, I think people are kind of, when they see that as well, they, it's, it's an asp- it's a part of, it's a part of the farming that we're doing. That's quite unique and there's not many people mm-hmm. doing tower farming it looks almost in space age, doesn't it yeah it's pretty it looks yeah it's like it's there's a bit of stanley kubrick wrote the the, the growth tunnel right uh <laughs> but uh it's it's you know it's pretty cool it's pretty cool at no time it's it's mad up there like it's it's very cool yeah um yeah Okay, so what is CSA? Brian and Cork Rooftop Farm adopted the CSA model in 2021. CSA is community-supported agriculture. The idea is the community around you prepay for your harvest that year, offering the finances required to be able to have your harvest, and everybody kind of 
enjoys it whatever way it turns out together. If it's a big glut, you walk away with loads of different things each week. If it's not, the farmer isn't left kind of dealing with their own spoils. It's a very popular model in the US and it's adopted here by a good few farmers as well. And it's a great way not only to help the farmer to be able to to grow more, but also it's a great way for the community to engage with the farm. We talked to Brian now about what his experience with the CSA was like last year. Can I just come in on a point there? Because what I actually really like about this subscription box idea is Mm -hmm. that it's a surprise. You know, every week you're going to get something, but every week it's going to be absolute prime season food that you're eating. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's class. We did it last year and it was tricky with us just for a number of reasons for in terms of the interaction. We would have loved to have way more interaction. COVID just made it super complex. and the rooftop is complex for a number of reasons to bring people up because it's not, ah, look, the practicalities of insurance, health and safety, all Mm. those type things play into us bringing large groups up there. So Mm -hmm. we read that it's really a big goal of ours for 2022 is to open up the rooftop to the public in a much greater way than it has been previously. And uh, we have our Nordic market garden is based, you know, at some distance away. It's, it's about, tw- it's near Coachford. So it's, it's not okay. right next to the, the city bounds. Uh, but we, we, I suppose it was the best option open to us at the time. We, we, we linked in with Joe Buckley, who's the far- dairy farmer out there. And he was incredibly, uh, interested in what we were doing and um i was kind of walking past this like it's it's a half acre site you know it's not okay, it's not well, a big site um yeah and i said what are you doing with that i said could we put a garden in there no dig and he said go for it and he was incredibly supportive um hmm. and like we put uh savage work into setting it up like it was around this time last year and I don't know how many wheelbarrows went into it, but it was pretty insane. Uh, I mean, for for the, for the setup of it alone, we had two hundred and fifty tons of of compost. Um, wow! And another probably sixty to seventy tons of of wood chip for the pathways. So it it is there's an enormous amount of organic matter went on there from the outset. Um, yeah, and. We had people coming out that when there was a bit of a, I can't remember, was it around this time last year? Yeah. So the, the, the things have relaxed a bit when we were able to be out and travel outside our 5k and all that kind of stuff. So people did come out and help us at weekends and stuff, which was mm-hmm. great. And we were, we were advertising the no date, but then after Christmas, they put the hard lockdown in again, you couldn't travel anywhere. Um, and that kind of screwed that set up. So, but like, we would have loved to have more community interaction with us, with the CSA members. But I think really next year it'll probably be when realistically we have that immersive experience between what we're actually doing and the, the, the members, as we call them. So they're, they're really putting their faith in us. Uh, and the people who put their faith in us last year took a massive leap of faith because we'd never done it before. And, mm. um, you know, and, they, their forward funding, you know, 
the produce. So like without that, we, we couldn't have created the, the, the market garden yeah. because, you know, 250, you know, cubic meters of compost doesn't come for <laughs> free. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, we, we needed that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's punch from people to take on us that, that, that leap of faith to, to do it. And they did. And I think then as the season goes on, you know, like, I don't know if you remember last, the, the earlier in this year, but April was Baltic. Like it was freezing. <laughs> Nothing was growing. It was frost every single so night. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, up until the first week of May. So then we were looking and we were like, oh crack, our first box is the middle of May. It's still minus four degrees at night. What's going on? Um, but we, we got through it. Like we, we, you know, those first boxes, we were just, oh, this is, this is tough. This is really tough. And then as the season rolled on, but like the people, the beauty of it was they'd, they'd taken this, uh, journey with us. So we were able to explain to them as we were going along, this is what's happening. You know, this is why, you know, your box is mainly greens this week. It's because like there, there, there's not much growing going on in the ground. Um, and then when it got to mid July, they were just, you know, you had your tomatoes, you had probably 16, 17 different types of veg in the box. And they were going, this is bonkers. You know, there were, there were nearly two massive bags leaving us. And, uh, that's the types of things that. I hope they'll remember, but it's certainly what I remember handing out to people because, it, it, you know, you see the evolution of the, the CSA throughout the, the, the period of it. We ran it for 20 weeks. So it ran from like mid-May till early October. Hmm. And yeah. because we had that extremely mild tail end of the year, then we were still doing tomatoes right up until the end of October uh, out of our greenhouses. And so there's, you know, the, the, that's, that's, you know, the tomatoes we were producing those heirloom varieties, you just can't beat them, you know? And so to be able to get those types of things is, is, is a special, uh, treat, I guess, John. So, so. Um, Brian, quick, quick question. Hens, did you, how many, how many hens do you have? This is, this is a, a sad story. Uh-oh. So we started off at oh, 400. No. We started oh, off at 400 and like unbelievable predator pressure. Um, yeah. Like I don't think people really realize just yeah. how many foxes there are in the countryside nowadays. Um, and mink. Like, yeah, mink. Uh, it, it, if anyone has ever come across a mink attack, they'll know what I'm talking about. But, you know, you kind of, you respect all of God's creatures and all the rest of it and animals. But but so, like, some of them are fuckers. Just like this, <laughs> the minks are bastards. Like, and, um, they, ah, it's, it's, it's horrendous. You know, like one or two of them will come in and it's, it's nearly impossible to keep them out, you know, because they're such small, wiry animals. Like mm. we have net fencing, electrified net fencing that, most of the time does the job against foxes. Really what happens with foxes is that it's when they spook the hens and if they spook the hens, sometimes they'll flutter and fly over the fence and then yeah. they just pick one off. Okay. That's what happens. Yeah. It's not the okay. fox getting into the, 
the 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 the, the coupets. It's when they scare one out. Um, but yeah. a mink a mink can get in, and then when a mink gets in, it just it it's it Death just it. it's not nice. I won't go into graphic detail, but it's it's if anyone oh, has followed us on social media, they've I've posted up imagery of what mink does. It's not nice. It's it's an animal that was introduced into the country. Um, there was a mink farm, I think, down in in uh, South Kerry, and some protesters left eco protests left them all out wild and free to you know the cruelty against the mink. And what it subsequently caused is a vis- evisceration of uh, biodiversity in in places. Joe, it's a mink, you can see it comes down a, a river or an estuary, it just kills all the birds. Um, mm. it's, it's horrible, you know, and there's no natural predator for the mink. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it just comes in, it does its thing, it moves on to the next spot, um, gets high off blood and runs off, you know, and that's it. It's not um, nice. Do you like the hens? I love the hens. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're such a, uh, um, like the familiarity they 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 they, they have in you fairly quickly off the bat is quite incredible. No, like they yeah, are they massive you. creatures. I have it. They do totally. And um, like every time I come to the gate, they rush towards the edge of the fence. They know it's feeding time. They know it's collection time. They're getting excited, and. They're never as excited as when they get moved onto fresh grass. Like it's the same as cows. It's actually mad. If you ever watch cows coming out uh, of the shed in spring, like hens have the same kind of like uh, almost giddy reaction when they move into fresh pasture. It's 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 brilliant. <laughs> like um, sometimes if we can't do a move in the early morning. We'll we'll move them to fresh. We'll open up fresh pasture for them during the day. It's a bit more tricky for us. But like, they're damn. They're straight into the fresh grass, and they eviscerate docks. So like, um, dock leaves are the scourge of any kind of farmer for grazing. They just they're they're not great. Like, um, but they they destroy them. So yeah, but the hens are great. They're fab. Um, like again, like everything we've done, massive learning curve, um, massive learning curve, especially with the pressures we've had with, with predators and just figuring out the rotations and, um, even trying to get to free range and organic standards with the model that we're using. It's, it's very difficult. Um, you know, as I said before, often you know, free range, you have to give, um, the availability of space to hens. So they have to be given the, the door has to be open for them to go out. But what's happening, um, nearly year on year now is there's bird flu, uh, warnings. So what's happening is well, there's a compulsory, uh, housing order in place now for hens. It came in there a week or two ago and um, because there's been bird flu cases around the country. And that probably won't come out, come off again till April or May at the earliest, if once bird flu case. So like there's only a five or six month period there where every, uh, poultry layer laying farmer in the country has to keep their hens indoors. So if you 
mm. introduce a flock, for example, a new flock in say January or February, they'll have never been outdoors before ever. Mm. So when you open your doors in April, May, they just won't go out. They just won't know, they won't know that they're supposed to go out. They'll, they'll be doing the same thing that they've done day in, day out. They'll never go out into the fresh grass. They won't understand that that's what they should do. But whatever ends, like literally Storm Barbara the other day, I was out there, it was blaring a mad gust. And like, yeah. uh, they, they, they wanted to stay outside. Like they did, they, they wanted to be out in it. And I would, I, myself and Jan were there. Jan is the fellow who helps me with the hens. And it was like, they, they, they won't stay in the what you like. They won't stay in there. They just love being outside. And that's, that's a massive difference, John. That's a massive difference. Yeah. So I'm just wondering who, who's helping out. You've got John there with the hens. You've got, um, you've got Pei working with you who started it. Uh, who else, who else is there? Yeah. Like Pei and myself started the whole thing. Um, and, uh, she's, she's still there. She's still, she's still helping out all the time and <laughs> she's still taking away as well but like it's yeah. Shana, Ty, Ty's an incredibly hard worker like I mean you know you speak of like uh, heroes like she she's got some work ethic and I'm I'm, I'm unbelievably lucky with the people that uh that 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 are that are work like Ty and we have Neil yeah. on the rooftop now as well um Brilliant. and like n- like the kind of beauty of all this is I wouldn't say any of us are seasoned pros at this game. Like all of us have been learning as we've been going along. So like um we all have a massive interest and a passion for what we're doing, but by no means and are we kind of uh the I suppose kind yeah, of the polished article like in this we, we've made mistakes uh, along the way I say that a lot we've made mistakes we continue to make mistakes but we we absolutely learn from them I think John um, and 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 it's it's kind of um, it's also good because we don't necessarily feel that we I suppose with anything we've done we've never kind of gone down the conventional route of doing it you know okay. it's always been yeah. No, so that's probably helped us. We've never, we've never been, um, we've been had, we've been quite open-minded in our approach to 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 mm. problem solving or to any new enterprise. So this, I guess, is really going back to that next generation idea that kind of sparked the series. You know, a whole bunch of young people rolling up their sleeves, getting their hands dirty, and learning about farming as a way of life. What do you think of that? And and I see this uh, quite a bit, like the. Then the next generation of of people that are going to be coming into agriculture, they may they most of them probably will, will have no background in agriculture. You know, yeah. Yeah. like I think I, like the average age of, of farmers in Ireland now is is something like sixty five, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and that's that average age is unfortunately only increasing. Um, so this this new wave of of farmers are 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 you know it's going to it's going to be a I guess a, 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 a totally new generation of people um, who who will have different ideas and how things are done because they've not no um, they've no one who's been telling them how it should have been done for their their lifetime. I guess, which is nearly you know, 
can be a it's a whole generation isn't it? it's a good thing but I, what, what we can't have happen either is that that generation of farmers who've who've been custodians of of the land for 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 generations that we lose that 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 knowledge you know um mm-hmm. there's a massive there's a massive um opportunity to 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 learn from those people too and um I'd be a bit fearful of of what's happening now in terms of you know consolidation of farms nearly um just mm-hmm. making these enormous farms um and um I suppose it's 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 inevitable when the the average age keeps rising and rising and rising but like again the, that comes into like you know entry into farming like for me now I'm keen to try and uh we, you know we need more land to grow more food you know mm-hmm. I can't I can't afford to go out and buy you know 20 or 30 acres you know I just like that's near the city it's going to cost me well, thirty acres cost it cost you four hundred fifty thousand euros at a minimum, but you can mm. you, you could probably rent that now for four or five hundred euro an acre instead. You know, they're they're the difference. So you you can rent land. But you, it's very difficult for anyone to buy land now if they're starting farming. Um, so like it, it's it's just having a different aspect or a different mindset. You, you like you, you you can't you know if if you're going to rent, then you're 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 you're, you're you're probably not, you know, you still need to invest in the land, but there needs to be something come from the landlord side then. To, There's much to, less an incentive to regenerate uh, as well, isn't it? It's much harder to say I'm going to yeah. properly put all my effort into making soil that's going to be unreal in, you know, six yeah. years and in eight years and 10 years yeah. time when your landlord can turn around and whip it back off you. Yeah, so I think there needs to be a bit of creative uh, leases there, I guess, you know. Um, mm. I'd love to, I, I, I would love to have access to, to land long-term. Of course, you know, it's exactly as you say, you know, you're, you're going to invest your a huge effort uh, into, into creating this, this, this land, this soil, and then mm. it could be potentially pulled, the rug could be pulled from Monday and all the takes. That is one, you know, you know, one genius farmer to come in and plow it and throw Roundup all over it, and you're going back to scratch. You know, yeah. uh, and like, you imagine that. Like, I, 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 the big into it. I'd be like, what's going on? So you know, every time I drive past the field that's been spread around up, I'm just like, oh my god. But, yeah. um, so these are the challenges, you know. But like, I think for new farmers that might be coming in uh, that don't have access to land. Um, you know, rental is obviously a way to go. There's, there's some, there's actually a, you know, there, there is opportunities there. There's with the, the Nuffield, uh, scholarship I've been doing, there's a, there's actually a girl who's, who's literally done a project on this very topic, you know, if no, and her topic was like, no land, no problem. Basically, like there is opportunities okay. there. You just need to, to, to look a bit outside the box, I guess, um, and, and, and meet someone who's willing to, to, to go with you on that, Joe. You know? would, you, would you recommend, um, would you recommend younger people to, to do what you're doing and get into farming? That's a good question. 100%, 100%. But I would caveat with that, with be willing to work. 
and be willing to like, you know, there's, there, I think, you know, people have a very starry-eyed uh, notion of what their life could be living on the farm and, you know, they'll be frolicking in the fields and they'll have daisies in their hair and that's fine, but you have to be willing to work hard. You really do have to be willing to work hard. And if you're willing to work hard and you have a passion for it and you, 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 you'll enjoy it way, way more because it'll give, it'll, you'll get back to, you know, it'll reward you for what you put in. Um, and I think that's really important. Like there's, 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 there's great opportunities there. There's, there's, I mean, every farmer in the countryside is screaming for people to work for them like this. There's a massive shortage in, in skilled horticultural workers right now. Um, um, you know, the government just reopened the, the horticulture visa to, 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 to foreigners because there's a, there's a labor shortage again. Um, and I know there's a labor shortage and it seems in nearly every sector at the moment, but especially in horticulture, there seems to be, you know, they're crying out for people. Um, and, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to, I say you need to work hard, but there's this conception out there as well, that if you're a farmer, that, you know, you need to almost run yourself seven days a week into the ground. I, I, I would hope that the model we can come up with would challenge that, that you can have a life that would be, you know, work smart. balanced. Yeah. But the little work for the farm, don't let the, you know, you know, like you can't, you can't consume everything of you. You have to have, you have to enjoy it. You have to have time to be with your friends, your family. And mm. that's, that's, that's so important. Like, and you need, to, you know, you'll just go to resent it otherwise. I think, you know, if you can't have that balance, um, and I think that's ultimately where a lot of young people who maybe grew up on farms don't follow it on. They maybe have seen that life that they could never, you know, get away from it. Maybe, yeah. you know, unless you have that incredible love for it, I guess that they couldn't, you know, but I, they're, I think showing people models of farming going forward whereby they can have balance, they can, you know, have that 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 enjoyment in life outside of the the farming environment that the farming itself can be really enjoyable as well um and fulfilling and rewarding and can provide them with a, a good standard of life um mm-hmm. uh, is really important you know that they're not you know under rewarded or feel like they're working for nothing or feel like they're not um you know appreciated for the hard work that they do and so i think yeah a young person should definitely go into it and they should but they should be willing to work have an open mind and um you know yeah there's there's huge opportunity brilliant thank you so much brian pleasure as always not a batter thanks brian yeah, that was that was great. Thanks, Brian, for, for taking the time to chat to us. I mean, loads going on there. What's next? Brian was kind of filling us in that they're basically looking for 2022 to try and open up the farm to the public, the rooftop farm. Obviously, there's issues that are there with COVID, but also health and safety, and they got to overcome those. So getting everyone up on the roof 
Um, if you want to check out their social media pages, you'll see lots of renders and visualizations for what's happening on the roof. Um, he was mentioning that they might like to put a restaurant up there, which would be pretty incredible. Farm to fork dining experience on a rooftop. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, big ideas, big ideas. And of course, they're also going to improve and refine the market garden that they have out in Coachford. So lots and lots of work in the pipeline. If people want to check out the Cork Rooftop Farm, you can visit them. They're at Dalton's Avenue, right in the city centre. And they're also on corkrooftopfarm.ie. Thanks, Jolene. Thank you, Jack. Let's uh, chat again next week.